Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. My name is A.L. Levy. With me is Mr. Arthur Risk, a producer, mixer out of Philadelphia. Um, he's worked with bands such as Power Trip, Code Orange, Trapped Under Ice, and most recently on um, the Cavalera Conspiracy record, Psychosis. He's also a guitar player for the band Summerlands. So welcome. How are you doing? Hey now. How are you doing, brother? I'm uh, chilling out here. Cool. You in Philly right now? Yep, I'm just hanging out, uh, taking the second half of my day to do this, and probably jam out some guitar later, too. All right, so if it's the second half of your day, and it's only 1.30 p.m., <laughs> what what was when did your day start? It's I get up around 7, 7.30 uh, to do mixing and editing. Um, and I go to bed pretty late too. I don't sleep a lot. I think that's a, the case with most engineers and producers and mix people. They're just, they don't sleep. I've heard some of the other interviews on your podcast. It seems to be a go ongoing theme. Yeah. I'm actually working really hard these days to normalize my sleep after an entire life of just insomnia and 36 <laughs> hour days and stuff. Yeah. I just, it's not good for you No, in the long run. It's good for the career, though. It is. I, I feel like at some point in time, everyone who's successful, and I think it's probably good and true in any career, at some point in time, everyone who's been successful in some sort of entrepreneurial career has to put in like a period of time where they sleep very little and they just grind most of the time and they give up social life and all that stuff. I believe yeah. that. Yeah. It's a, it's really the only way I, I went through that in my teens, the same thing with playing guitar where I, I didn't hang with anybody anywhere. I kind of just spent my whole life in my basement learning, uh, guitars, pretending I was in other bands and et cetera. So, I mean, better to do it at that point in time, because I mean, I feel like Nothing that you do in high school socially really matters. No, that's that's um, that's yeah, the truth. And, yeah, and that's the time in your life when you have the energy to like put in the hours on guitar. I mean, I'd say up until the age of like thirty, but like yeah. it it goes down. And, and hey, guitar players that are over thirty who are listening to this, who still practice, more power to you. But I mean, I'm sure everyone who's being honest can agree that. Uh, when you're like 15 through 23 or something, you have, you know, sitting there for 12 hours a day is not that big of a deal. I'd say that's the sweet spot that those yeah. years for sure. Yeah. You can always get laid later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true though. You can like, um, I mean, I've, I've been over this, I've been over this crowd before in other interviews. I mean, I literally did not hang out with chicks. I did not. I, and if, if I had back then, I probably would have, uh, been so distracted. You know what I mean? I just didn't care. So, um, it's, it's definitely better to just play guitar than, than chase 
chase women around or, or dudes around, if, you know, whatever. You just <laughs> shred and and then uh, when you get a little bit older, then you figure it out. So, all right, so you spent a lot of your uh, formative years just playing guitar. How did that lead to recording? Um, it, it was kind of the natural progression where you, you get tired of going to other people uh, to record because, I mean, if you have a vision in your mind like I had a vision for everything that I was doing and I was actually playing like the I was doing a lot of weird experimental stuff in in around the time where I went from guitar to like recording engineer I was into a lot of noise and a lot of uh abrasive music underground shit and um going into a studio to record just noise like is uh I mean I can understand why a, an engineer would be like yo what the fuck is this guy doing but um <laughs> I've done it gets, that before it gets it gets like uh you know a little bit um disheartening to have someone not understand what you want to do so whether it be that or uh any of the bands I was doing at the time I just wanted to go and do it by myself and figure out how to do it all. So I went, took like a class in community college and um, basically learned how to operate Pro Tools and how to, how to mic stuff up. And it's, it's been experimentation ever since then. That was about 10 years ago. But that, did that give you enough of the basics to just move forward? Yeah, it, it actually did. Um, that, just taking two semesters of audio classes at community college and then uh, not doing so well at Temple University in my classes because I was just really was uh, uh, not not really down with college at that point. Like I, I graduated college with good grades, but when I when I was taking my audio courses, I was kind of just a, sh a little shit. Like I think I fell asleep in a couple of my audio classes. And I had and I had really you know, I had good good teachers and stuff for the most part. But but yeah, most of it just came so, from learning. You know what, man? I think minor things. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I just think at some age, some people are just not ready to sit in a classroom. Yeah, I def um, I definitely was not for sure. Um, yeah, man. When I was like nineteen or twenty, and I was going to Berkeley, I fucking hated going to class yeah. so much. I had no problem sitting in my room and working on music, but like going to class was like, I, I would rather get fucking waterboarded. <laughs> like, the irony is I miss, I miss college now is such like a carefree time because I was occupied with something and somehow it's, you know, somehow it's okay to just do whatever you want when you're in college. It's a good time to be creative and shit. But back then I did not, I just didn't care about about being in class, I was just wanted to get get as as little knowledge as possible that I needed to do what I wanted to do, and then that changed little by little. The more serious I began to to take it, the more that I would learn um, outside of school. Like I bought all I bought all the books that I was supposed to buy in college, pretty much afterwards, and and studied them after I had made a couple records. Um, it's supposed to be the other way around. Well, you know what, though? I think that in some ways, um, when you read those, those books before actually working on audio much, 
it can be really overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. Like, what like what the fuck is all this technical garbage? Especially like, if you this have is so boring ADD or something like that. You're just like, how can I get this knowledge quicker? Like, what can I do? How can I shoot a needle of knowledge into my directly into my brain of this stuff? So I mean, it. it I didn't care. I knew gain structure. I knew EQing. Um, I knew very as enough to mix a record without really making it very uh, without it sounding shitty. That's about all that I knew. Um, and then the rest and of the did, stuff did, I started when to you pick read up. the books. When you read the books later, yeah, um, were they easier to oh, they were, take down? They were like. And it's kind of, I don't know what that says for me, but this is stuff I should have known in college when I was looking at it like five or six years after I got out of college, I was like, oh shit, that's what that, yeah, that's what that connection is right there. And then, uh, instantly my recordings imp improved, um, objectively, you know what I mean? I mean, but do you think that you would have really understood if like understood how to use that knowledge if you had just no paid attention right out the gate like I, say like like say that you worked on audio less and you studied more do you think that you would have been able to put that info to good use you know i maybe but i don't i don't think like for people i think it's situational like for me i didn't really under understand everything because it was too much uh, if I had understood it and I had worked hard, maybe I wouldn't have put as much time into being creative. It's like the thing where people who go to art school, they won't take a job that requires um, a lot of concentration. They like get jobs working at like the grocery store with uh, making cakes or whatever the, because they want to take use all of their actual um, their their thinking power on being creative. So I think that going to college, I, I did learn stuff, but had I actually studied, maybe I wouldn't have been as creative in my recordings. And um, I think that that's, that's kind of what's been setting my stuff apart from other people's stuff is the, the actual, just the actual of not being afraid to experiment more or less knowing what technical results could happen from doing something that isn't technically correct. I imagine that that helps you stand out in a place like Philly because there really are a lot of musicians and producers. Oh, out yeah. There. And great, great ones, too. Um, Will Yip, who uh, I don't know if you know who Will Yip is. He he did oh, like yeah, some title fight and like tons of crazy shit. He was a semester ahead of me at Temple, and he's always been a, a great friend of mine and has helped me out a lot. Um, well, hey, Will, if you're listening, you should come on the podcast. He was going to, but it didn't work out. Yeah, I'll I'll we'll go. Out, I'll I'll talk him into it if if this works out good. <laughs> if you don't torture me too much, you know. What I'm saying? <laughs> no, I mean. No, no torture. Yeah. All right. So go on about Philly, though. So you've got Will Yip and talk about standing out in a scene like that. I think especially for like dudes who are like, how do I stand out in my scene? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I like I said, I, I learned a lot from Will. He's he's just he's like the, gets like amazing sounds in an amazing studio. And um, I have I have like uh I don't have the same type of 
situation as a lot of the, the other dudes who are pr- producing in Philly and, and mixing. They have like uh, a lot of uh, high-end studios, higher-end gear. And w- what I what I learned is that you just don't, you don't need all of it. You need, you know, some of it where it matters. And then the rest of it's just about being, not being afraid to experiment, not being afraid to, um, not being afraid to throw your own ideas out there. If you're a, you're a producer, just be like, not be afraid to suggest something that everyone might fucking really hate. Um, be like, you know, there's a lot of that and not being afraid to just do, you use shitty gear if, if you need it, you know? Um, I, I have so much go-to random bullshit that I bought at, um, music around, which is like a used, used music store that people just sell their ancient digital rack gear to. And you could pick up digital rack stuff for like 15, 20 bucks for old, old (laughs) stuff that I just will randomly pick up and use on, on anything. I mean, when, when I, when I, and, and this is like, uh, I, I'm kind of ranting on about the question, but I think I'm starting to get to what I'm trying to tell you is that I, I've used a lot of demoing techniques when I'm making my own music and I'll play, you know, I'm writing demos for my band Summerlands. I, I'll do anything and just try pretty much anything that there is to try no matter how stupid the idea is for example like taping mics to a ceiling near a bass trap or taping mics to the wall you know just stupid shit running running mics through through like guitar pedals is doing everything in the demoing process throwing shit to the wall seeing what sticks if something if there's a good if there's a good idea to be found in a demoing process and there's no reason why we can't uh, add it, you know, apply it to doing a band like, uh, I don't know, like, you know, Power Trip, for example, or Piss Jeans or one of the other things that I've done. So um, with, uh, with those types of ideas and the experimentation, is it off the cuff or do you have like a list of things you'd like to try? Uh, it's usually, it's usually just, um, a bit, a bit of both. Uh, so like I said, some of the stuff I do when I'm demoing Summerlin's shit, I'll, well, it just, what well, doesn't sound good at all and I'll never use it. But if something worked, I'll, I'll often bring it into a session, but like, Hey, I did this on this demo and it actually sounded cool. Do you want to try it out? And, um, but sometimes you're just sitting there and you, you see something and you're like, Oh, we should throw a, throw like, uh, headphones in, into these rototoms and run it through, uh, this, this delay processor and return it here or use like a cassette, a cassette three de- uh, three head cassette deck and use it for delay or just, it's, it just depends on what the situation calls for. But I think all that experimenting that, that I do in those sessions is, is what sets most of my recordings apart from other people's. Um, so is it safe to say that if someone comes to record with you, they're going to probably be uh, experiencing some techniques that they would never, yeah. pretty much never use anywhere else? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
just I mean I I, I like throwing a using a, com, a combo amp on the bass instead of miking a giant fridge sometimes and just you know stupid little things that people are like wait a second I want my bass to sound giant how how are we supposed to get out of a, a 10 inch speaker eight inch speaker combo amp it's like well it's the same thing as Miking a giant fridge, you just gotta figure out where to put the mics, and it's all about air and just you know, you you'll st- stuff like that. For example, can you give me um, uh, uh, some examples of some of the shitty gear you've picked up that has actually <laughs> turned out to be really good? Um, I have a ART reverb unit that I use. There you go. Uh, it's, it's it's fun to overdrive the inputs of of old digital reverb units and then EQ them later, print them and EQ them later, and and uh, just you know, and and that's one example. I have uh, Digitech guitar pedals, one of the first guitar pedal multi effector pedal that I have that I've used. On, on just dumb shit everywhere. Like I've run it through a room mics and on drums and have like a like some kind of flange going or some kind of phaser going and just bury that deep in a mix somewhere where you know where it's pops in and out. So how would you pipe it into the room? If you like explain that chain, like if you're getting it on room mics, how are you getting it in the room? Uh, basically, I would put it on. I would put it on basically like parallel. I would run the room mics into a into a mixer, and then run the mixer out into directly into a different pre for like dry, and then another pre that's just a, the flange or whatever the pedal is and kind of use it as like parallel compression Mm -hmm. type, like a parallel, whatever. That's, that's actually the big, the big, um, underlying theme of my recordings has been parallel, just parallel everything. Uh, somebody on online called it parallel crappening, which I think is a pretty good term. Parallel crappening. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like running something, uh, like room mics into a sh- like a shitty del- delay pedal or like a a reverb flange or whatever, getting a crazy sound, compressing the shit out of it, and then just bringing it in into the mix. You know, uh, I I've done it before where I've used where I've just committed it all into one room track. That's just room room mics with a, f- a phaser on it. And then, you know, cut out all the high end out of the EQ, all of a sudden, all the low end is kind of like moving around in the room. It's just just weird stuff that if you have digital, you know, you have a DAW, you have an interface, you basically have infinite possibilities with this stuff. I'm not saying that you should all run through your, your room mics through phasers and probably have... Uh, <laughs> pretty stupid results overall, but there are ways to just fuck with things to make them breathe and not really point stuff out. Do you, have you ever had experiences where you suggest trying a technique or you want to, you just go do it and the musician's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I can imagine that happening in the future. Uh, 
from from uh, in the past, people have always kind of just known what they're getting into when they're recording with me. I, I like to talk to people that I'm pro- if I'm producing somebody, it's different than mixing or mastering or anything like that. If I'm if I'm producing and recording and doing the whole thing. I'm talking to people for weeks in, in advance about everything. They know that I'm I'm fucking weird already. They already know. So they just expect stuff like that. Usually the the number one thing is is uh the the bass guitar. People usually want to have it like cranking through giant cabs. Um I think a lot of the other weird stuff I do, I kind of just do it on my own for my own results and make sure to cover my ass if uh you know, if if the the idea is too crazy, by having parallel outputs of of a dry signal, smart, um, yeah. But I do like to I do like to work fast also and commit a lot of stuff. So if it doesn't work in the first quarter, I'll I'll probably I probably will just chalk it up as a loss. Fair enough, makes sense. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to guitar. Um, how how do you think that being a guitar player and obviously based on what you said, being a committed guitar player, at least for one point yeah, in your yeah. life, how does that affect your productions? Like, do you find yourself being super guitar centric or you feel like it doesn't affect it? I'll tell you how it affects it. Fuck drums, fuck vocals, fuck bass, <laughs> fuck everything except for guitar. That's all. So you just press solo. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. I honestly, I, I love guitar and people tend to, compress the shit out of guitars and and bury them in a mix or or just make them super 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 in your face and uh i just don't feel like i i like guitar to be in the front but not in your face so i i i do when i when i mix i always try and mix the uh, exactly how i hear it i mix the record exactly how i hear it and then i'll bring the guitar down a decibel and the vocals up a decibel Every single time. Does that have anything to do with the fact that guitars usually come up in mastering? Yeah, that's that's one thing. Um, But I I think like I I always I always notice that I I try to keep stuff under control enough to the point where it won't pop out like it won't like blast off during mastering because I'm not I'm not squashing the guitar signal, but. Like I said, the parallel the parallel crappening thing too always <laughs> always helps with it with a guitar to keep it from really taking over and mastering. It's just keep keeping one little one thing of it when you know one one mic or something squashed and keeping it in phase and just keeping the other mic to you know breathing and EQing. It takes a lot of work. Is the problem is that you have to find the different parts of different songs. You find that you have to do volume automation, EQing automation, etc. But as I said, with digital, you could you pretty much do anything you want if you have the time, if you're willing to put in the effort. Um. So, can you talk about how you go about dialing in a guitar tone? Yeah. Uh, usually, it will start with just. With just basically listening to the amp, picking out the amp that goes with the album or song or whatever, um, picking out an amp, picking out a guitar, playing it, listening to it, the obvious stuff, um, and then I'll usually go put throw on two two mics, a, a dynamic and a condenser usually, or 
some some type of combination. We'll listen to the tone until I think it sounds, you know, uh, we'll, we'll just record something once it's in phase. Once we have the tone we want, we have the mics in phase, we'll listen to what we have. And then I like to go with pedals instead of e- like EQing on the board or e- compressing on the board or anything. I like to start with using guitar pedals because I'm such a uh, guitar dweeb that I, I like to think that we can get the tone by ourselves without going to the process of EQing everything on the board and compressing everything on the board. So just try and get as close as I can with like a 10 band EQ and comp- and like a guitar compressor or whatever. Uh, I like to get that tone and then we will go to listen, print something, see how we feel about that, and then go from there usually. Just maybe a little bit like light compression and EQing and that's it. What are your some of your favorite guitar pedals? Uh I I have I have a lot of pedals it's just like I, I any chance I have I I'll buy them if they're cheap I'll buy them I don't I don't have a lot of the the classic expensive stuff like I don't have a clone I don't have like uh like crazy shit but um I'll, I'll always go to us for for heavy metal tones and like heavy stuff once I have the amp dial then I, I like to mess with uh like old boss pedals, like a super overdrive is one of my favorite, uh, overdrives, uh, old tube screamers are amazing. You've heard all this stuff before I have, um, for, for course might be my favorite guitar pedal. Cause I course is one of my favorite effects. I have, uh, the new boss was craft pedal of the course that basically is the three classic boss pedals put into one, um, oh, well, military you grade you, tank. You can't beat those. No, they're, you really can't they're fucking those. amazing. So I, I use that a lot all the time. Um, and that's, those are pretty much my go-tos. I got old boss DD five. I have a, a Moog, uh, mini, mini Fugger delay that I like because it adds gain to the delay. You can add gain to the delay. That's cool. Um, that's pretty much it. Oh, I have some pedals that people have been sending me, and out of all the bunch that I've gotten, there's uh, Damnation Audio makes up a, a sick distortion pedal, and uh, Idiot Box Effects sent me some stuff that I really like. There's a uh, a, a fuzz pedal called Whores, which I, I think is a band. Um, they they have a fuzz pedal that's really sick. So I've been using those. Yeah. So the horse pedal by Idiot Box. Yeah. I like I like those names. <laughs> I mean, they're just guys like me who who like fucking love music and guitar and shit. And they're not. They they have their companies. They're not giant companies, but they they send me stuff because they know I'm a freak and they're they're into the bands and stuff. So I'm I'm into that. I I love. I just I I love trying out like random shit with guitar with when it comes to guitar stuff I'll, I'll mess around with that stuff on five different amps direct in all that stuff that brings up a question that i get asked a lot which is how did you go about getting gear sent to you like how did that uh, a lot of guys are like how do i get an endorsement how do i get gear and what did you do to get yourself in a position where people send you stuff um 
I I'm also a front of house audio like I I tour with a lot of the bands that I record and do their live sound. Um, so I tend to meet people a lot just at shows, and if somebody is coming to uh, you know somebody's you know endorsing a band that I'm that I'm with, and I and I check them out. And I see that they have something that's cool. I'll usually just hit them up and be honest and say, "Listen, I I just want to try something out. I really like your company, and I don't, uh, you know, I'll I'll pay you for something. I just there's all this stuff that you know I'll try out and I'll I'll uh, I'll I just want to I want to I'll buy something. You know, that's that's usually what it is. If you buy something, you ask to try out a couple pedals and you buy something and they trust you, then those people will send you shit and then it's like priceless. And then you probably end up buying stuff anyway that you weren't planning on buying. But I've gotten a lot of free pedals that way where people will just be like, well, you know, just keep it and um, buy, try something else out. So so basically be a valuable person. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. People, I, and I, I hear a lot of this talk now about endorsements um, when I'm going to like these metal festivals and stuff and people are are hamming it up backstage talking about I'm endorsed by this, endorsed by that. People think that um, you just should get tons of free shit because of, uh, because of where you are in your life. But I think that a valuable relationship is one where you, you also give something to like, be like, listen, I'm not just some guy who's going to take pedals or take mics off of you and then pawn it in a couple years. Like I want to use this shit. I want to be inspired by this shit. I'm not inspired by what I have right now. Um, and you know, yeah. offer some money. Don't don't be greedy. You know that's that's great advice, and that's similar to what I tell people, which is look at it from the company's perspective. Um, they're trying to get their name out so that people buy their products. Yeah. What are you going to do to help with that? Like, what what are you going by them giving you a piece of gear that they spent money on? Um, you know, they had to create. Yeah. Like what that is valuable to them. It's their livelihood. What is gonna? What can you do for them that will make them want to give it to you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so that that is that's always, and that's the same thing. Also for getting getting work, you can say the same thing. Like you should always. I mean, for years, I've volunteered myself to people that I thought could give me something. And every, you know, a lot of times my my judgment was spot on where I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to do a free, I'm going to do sound for this band and then they will, you know, maybe I could t- slip in that I'm also a recording uh, engineer um, and that you, they should bring your band to my studio or et cetera, so... I mean, that's how I've gotten a lot of my work, too. I'm sure that it's not a 100% success rate, but sounds like, I mean, and I guess I'm just saying that because I would think that it needs to be said that when you do things of value for other people, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't do it expecting something in return because you're not always going to get something in return. Yeah. And people can sense it if you're not being genuine anyways. and. 
you know, people can just sniff that out and there's nothing more unappealing in a networking situation besides getting punished like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like besides that, there's nothing more unappealing than someone (laughs) like feeling like you're getting used by somebody. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, an, an issue, but, um, I think I, I, I definitely just think that if you have some confidence that you can give somebody what they need, that it'll work out more or less. So do you have any tips for the social skills necessary to properly network with artists or gear reps or any of these people? Sounds like you know a lot of people. Obviously, if you tour, um, people enjoy being around you enough to be to let you in their vehicle for a month at a time. Like, do you have, is that, were you naturally always just. No, I think like. Chill or did you have to work on it? Um, I've toured, I've toured when I was younger, I've toured with bands that definitely pointed out. Cause when I was younger, I was much more, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. I, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't say that I was a, a punisher, but when when I was younger, it took for me touring with people that 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 pointed out that I was doing things that were kind of annoying to artists uh, or in those social situations. Basically, people pointed things out to me to the point where I was like, "Oh man, like that's I've been doing that." Like for example. Um, they would point things about me or other people. Like, uh, for example, somebody going into a dressing room and eating all of the food. Oh, man. That's not something I did, but there was a guy. Uh, what a big, who, big know, no-no yeah, right there. Yeah, basically just going in there, taking food and putting them in their bag. Like, that's that's something that a lot of people just don't think about when you're going, when you're meeting with somebody like, Oh, there's all this free shit. I've never seen free shit before. It's like, that is a big, big no, no. And just stuff like that. But uh, I guess we're, I guess I'm getting off track here. We're, We're talking about like networking. I think that being cool, like it's something that you can learn, not saying, oh, wow, look, Arthur's cool. He's like a fucking cool dude, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> being cool as in literally chilling the fuck out. And when you're meeting somebody important, listen, so who can give you something, listen to what they have to say. And um, don't, you know, don't inter, don't be annoying. Like, don't try and take pictures with people don't don't ask for stuff just give like give what you what you truly feel you have to offer to this person in the most in the most impactful and least amount of time you know what i'm saying and treat them like a normal human being exactly because if there's one thing that that gets annoying to people is is just um Oh, I've I've always loved your band. I'm I'm like the number one fan. Like I fucking like you changed my fucking life. Like that's somebody that you don't want to hang out with in a studio for six months. Now for well, no, and also like the thing about that kind of stuff is that while it's flattering, at the same time, once you're in that category for somebody, they don't really see you like a person. No, they t- they see you more like a concept. Yeah. And 
And there's a big difference there in how you're going to get treated when you're just an ideal or an idea versus a, you know, flesh and blood human being that, like, takes a shit and gets annoyed or is tired. Or- and here's the thing. Um, to all those listening, if you get the gig with somebody that you, for example, like, I, I, I'm a giant Sepultura fan and a Max Cavalera fan all around. I'm a giant fan of, of the, the Cavalera brothers. And I just got to record their, the, their new LP. Um, which is so badass, yeah. by the way. Do you know how, how hard it was for me the first time I met Max Cavalera to not just be like, I fucking owe everything to you. I love you, man. You're the best. Your bands fucking changed my life. I, I, I stole all your ideas for production. I, I like, I idolize <laughs> you. It's like, I held back and, um, I only put four strings on my guitar because yeah. of you. <laughs> um, that's also crazy to me because I had to ask him. I said, "Dude, do you you've been doing that forever?" And he's like, "Yeah, like since the early '80s." I was like, "Nah, dude. I've seen DVDs." And then we went back and we looked, and I was like, "Yeah, I guess you really, literally, have always used four strings." And he he doesn't need the other ones. So I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, anyway, get get into that. I I, I didn't have. I wanted to tell him all that stuff so badly, but instead, you know, I kept that shit to myself. And then maybe a year later, I was in the studio with him. We had just gotten through half, half or almost all, all the tracking done. And I, and you know, I was able to tell him all that shit and thank him properly. And you get, you know, I got to say to him as a, as like an equal, not as a, as a fucking weird fan that, you know, that that just was like a, a passing moment in time. We got to actually make fucking art together. You know what I'm saying? So when you meet somebody like that and you really want to work with them and you really want to network with them, just literally don't talk about yourself. Just be the coolest person you could be, you know, go with the flow. And if it, it doesn't work out that you don't think it's going to work out, that's it. You don't have to like tell, you don't have to express all your feelings or whatever. If you get if you get that chance down the line in the studio, it's way more meaningful. It's it's way more of a meaningful conversation. Um, well, because at that point too, they view you like you said, like an equal. Yeah. So they're probably open to being receptive. Exactly. And Max knows that I'm a giant giant fan. You know, he knew he knew that, and he knows it now too. So he knows in the same way with um, just you know a bunch of a bunch of bands that I've recorded. They they just they I, I I try and work with bands that I actually really love, and that's another you know hint that I would give out to anyone listening to this. Um, just you know, hit up bands that you like that that aren't like giant. And already taken care of by some talent booking or management or something. Find bands who don't have management that you want to record and just hit them up and see what happens. Just say, you know, try and make a try and make a link with them. I've done that with a lot of bands. And so tell me a little bit about your process for doing that. Like actual like steps you've taken. Um, I'm trying to think, let me try to think of a specific. Uh, specific example of a time that I've done that. Um, well, let me think, let me, let me look. Well, there's, there's a black metal band from, 
from Peru that I did that with. Um, essentially, what what had happened was they 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 had posted on their Facebook that they were they had demos for their new LP, and I just sent them an email. And was like, hey, I'm a producer in the United States. Uh, I've done this, this, and this, like, this is when I still had, had nothing really going on. I, I sent them, I think I did the first power trip record at that time in 2013. And I just sent them that. I said, uh, I re I, um, I know what I'm doing <laughs> more or less. I think, <laughs> like, I really, I love you guys. I li I'd like to, uh, you know, I, I like to offer you my services because, uh, I, I think I get what we could do, what we could do or whatever. And they, they contacted me back pretty much like two months later. And we're like, we really like the sound of your, oh, your so, work. Oh, so you didn't, so you didn't hit them up every 12 no, hours to no. see if they had gotten yeah, the message? Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. You just wait and you wait and then you're like, all right, well, they're never going to contact me. So that's, that's the end of that. But you tried at least. Um, and then they got back to me and they were like, we really like what you, what you did here. So, you know, how much are you, how much do you cost? And that's when you just, you take a cut because you're doing something you believe in. Um, and then you, you build yourself up to the point where you can actually, you've, you've worked in your own network of bands that you like, as opposed to just taking work from the local the local bands and getting, you, you know, probably making more money than someone like I do, but you work on stuff that you like and you're able to output more meaningful shit. And the money comes eventually in my experience. It, it takes uh, and, a long time, but it's, yeah. it's coming, you know, it's, it's, if you can live and pay your bills and just kind of suffer, uh, it, it man, the happiness manifests itself. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, there's this uh, there's this uh, idea that I learned from the uh, CEO of Creative Live, a dude named Chase Jarvis, which is that uh, the kind of work that you put out there is the kind of work you're going to get more of. So, like, if you're a black metal dude, but for some reason you get a bunch of church bands coming to you, you're probably not going to get lots of black metal bands. No. <laughs> and, it, you know, if what you want to do is you want to make a living doing extreme music, then you need to record extreme bands and do whatever you can to record extreme bands mm -hmm. and then get good enough to where eventually the ones that have budgets will come to you. Yeah. But you're not going to get to work with those bands if uh, you're making country records exactly. or Latino pop or indie music. It's just not going to happen. Um, so the kind of work you put out there is the kind of work you're going to get more of. So if you focus on working with bands that you like, like really like going for it and finding yeah. them and, rather than... And like I said before, I just have to mention, it's important that when you're doing this, that the, that the band doesn't have like management because you'll get, you'll get, you'd be wasting your time to hit up a band with a manager trying to uh, solicit stuff. People usually only pay attention uh, to that stuff if they are, if they're, you know, uh, if you're, if, if they're reading their own Facebook messages and they somehow s strike a connection with a certain message, I get fan mail all the time and I, re I respond to it 
but there's only a certain percentage of fan mail that I get that I actually connect with and that I remember the people that are in those messages. So if you can manage to make a connection with somebody, you know, that's how that's how it works. I mean, for example, Power Trip was a band when I when I hit them up, they were on a hardcore compilation called America's Hardcore. And I had recorded a, a title fight song back then for the compilation in my in my old house because um, I don't think Title Fight had recorded with Will yet to that point. They were recording in, in Wilkes-Barre. So I did so they were on a comp with with Power Trip and I heard and I got the comp in the mail and I just decided, well, I'm going to listen to this whole comp and see what all the bands are like, see how my recording sounds compared to the other ones. And I got, it got to power trip and I was like, holy fuck, man. Like this is, this is fucking insane shit. This is actually good. Like a lot of the hardcore bands back then were just, uh, kind of, kind of like bullshit. Uh, as far as mm-hmm. like copying crossover stuff, all the crossover hardcore stuff was just like kind of bullshit. And then I heard that Power Trip song, and it sounded like an actual fucking thrash song. So uh, I contacted Riley. I'd known him very like I just like met him at a show in in Texas at like a fest in Texas, and I hit him up. I got his number from somebody. I just said, "Dude, you guys." can I record something for you guys? Like, can I mix something? And, and I showed them like my band war hungry that will actually recorded. And I produced, well, yep. Sorry. Uh, he, I showed them that and they were like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. Let's do something. And then that's how I nice. ended up doing stuff with power trip was just because they didn't have a manager at the time. They didn't have anybody. They just had, you know, they had a, a, a connection with me and that's how it worked out. So I've done everything that they've recorded up until that. I've done all that stuff, all their shit. Can we just elaborate really quickly on why I think you said to avoid managers? And in my opinion, it's because if a band has a manager, the manager is going to try to get them uh, with someone popular. And, yeah. you know, we're speaking to you as if you have no clients and you're trying to get clients. So you're not going to be on any manager's radar. Exactly. And the manager's probably going to get, they're going to try to go for Will Putney's assistant yeah. or something well, over you. The, ma- the managers also have people that they're managing that they're like, yo, use my guy, uh, Jimmy, yes, or use too. my guy, Joel, you know, they're fucking great. So, I mean, like they, they all, they always try and, and put their nose into the band's art, artistic, elements or whatever so with that it's it's much easier to just hit up people who aren't being guided through and there's i I think there's there's a third there's a third reason in my opinion go ahead um third reason is that when i mean like you said don't be contacting huge bands you got to contact bands that uh are like somewhat realistic and that you like and that you believe that you could help them and you believe that you can uh do something for them you can't exactly so they so they can't be big they got to be pretty much at the beginning of their career Mm -hmm. too more or less and so in that case more or less so in that case bands like that 
generally don't need managers. And if they do have a manager, then you can count on the relationship with them and the workflow and the process being way more convoluted than it needs to Mm -hmm. be in most cases because they're already adding layers of paperwork and bullshit that a band their size doesn't need. Exactly. Generally. Not always, but generally. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, just... Also, if you're 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 trying to produce a band or trying to mix a band, you really gotta if you're gonna give it your you know volunteer your time to do that, then you you basically have to work on something that you love. Otherwise, you're fucking yourself over. You're volunteering your time. To, it's like volunteering your time to I don't know, to, just do, do something, something you, you don't, don't like. like. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. At a loss for metaphors today. <laughs> well, um, though there, I do think that there is some merit for like uh, being able to to take on multiple different kinds of sessions. But I mean, if you're one thing is if you develop a reputation and people come to you, and you got to keep the lights on. Another thing is when you're actively trying to carve out your own niche and your own space in the world. Why go for stuff you don't like? You yeah. won't be passionate about it, and you won't sacrifice. You won't put in the sacrifice needed to turn it into something. Yeah, exactly. And and you can't really you can't really get behind it either. Someone comes yeah. up to you and says, "Oh, you're you're recording fucking uh, you know you're recording Summerland's record," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, but they fucking suck, and I'm I'm sick of it, and I hate recording, and I want to kill everybody." So, but that's that's like you know you have to be behind what you want to you want to be like, "Oh yeah, it's like it's fucking going great. They rule. This rules. You know, it it just makes you it makes you have a a, a hunger, and that hunger naturally." manifests itself into good work if you put the time in and the effort and then you don't and then like I said like you said the money comes eventually as long as you you know stick stick to your guns or whatever yeah and I mean just like to touch on the sacrifice thing a little more like if you have that feeling of I hate this band they suck why am I doing this you're not going to be willing to stay the extra nights or be single or miss Thanksgiving, <laughs> like all the things that like successful people have had to do along the way, like miss that wedding yeah. or, oh, yeah. I, I or mean, you know, like not sleep for two weeks, like the, all that shit. You're not going to, if it's like, fuck, I hate this band. I, I'm just going to end early and enjoy my night or I'm going to I that mean, yeah, wedding. Being in, a, this band. Yeah, being in his studio is the ultimate sacrifice. You know, it's like the ultimate like sacrifice for Dick. Cause it's many times you don't have the privilege of being able to end the session early or end the session at as, you know, under 10 hours or something. It's like, you really don't know when you're fucking leaving. There's other people who are asking you, when are you leaving? When are you going to be here? It's just like, you know, you don't know. And in order, you have to, you have to really believe in what you're doing in order to be able to be there and be successful. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the overall point that, that I'm trying to give you going way back is just, you know, really, really try and work on stuff that you can make a connection with essentially. And that's kind of what, or that sounds like that's what's fueled you 
this whole yeah, time. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, you've come a long way very, very fast. I mean, I know you've been at it for a decade or more, but for instance, you just said that in 2013, you were still, you know, at the relative beginning yeah, of I your would say recording career. I would, I would officially, uh, I would officially say that my recording career be- began in like 2012, 2013. Even though I was tracking friends' bands for a few years before that, like maybe five years before that, I'd been tracking friends' bands and doing stuff. It wasn't till like 2012 that I I was just like, all right, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta be fucking great. Otherwise, I need to like go work at my my parents' uh, sandwich shop. So it's <laughs> one or the other. It, Nothing wrong with sandwiches. No, not, I love sandwiches, and I love my my parents' shop too. So, I um I still help them out too, and it's funny because I I get random people who recognize me there and be like, "Oh, dude, you're <laughs> you were just in L.A. Uh, with Power Trip accepting an award, and now you're like slinging shawarma. It's like fucking crazy." Yeah, but I mean, it's not like you're working at some random fast food place. No, it's no. a family business. No, I love I love helping my parents out. It's also good uh, good for decompressing away from fucking music because I I actually love music. I'm a music freak, and if it was up to me, I'd be jamming shit 24 hours a day. But sometimes you just you have to take a break from it and, and helping out, helping them out or doing whatever is my way of still feeling like I'm doing something, but, um, it doesn't have to be evolving music. Also, I listen to Howard Stern, uh, four hours a day to, to, Dude, so I love Howard Stern. Yeah, same here. Hit him with the hind. He's one of the greatest interviewers of all time. And, um, yeah, he is, and I've I, learned I so much. I don't know what else to say. He's just great. Well, I've learned so much shit from his interviews with with celebrities, and I mean, he's done like producers. I mean, he just he just uh, interviewed Jimmy Iovine, who was who did. Oh, uh, that was an incredible yeah. interview. And that, if anyone listening. Uh, if you have HBO, uh, first go listen to the Howard Stern interview with Jimmy Iovine, and then go watch the Defiant ones, which is what the interview is about. Yeah, and that that whole interview kind of covered. I haven't watched the show yet, but the whole interview kind of covers a lot of the stuff that was on the show. But like stuff like the fact that he was like, you know, banging. Stevie Nicks in the basement of his house and hiding her because Tom Petty was upstairs and recording a record upstairs and he didn't want Tom Petty to know that he was dating Stevie Nicks and recording her record at the same time he was recording Tom Petty's record. Just like stuff like that is like insane to me. But Um, you know what was so funny about that story? Because I like, first of all, I was driving to the convenience store to pick up a Red Bull. mm -hmm. And a blunt rap, and <laughs> nice. um, and I heard that. I mean, the well, the convenience store is like two blocks away, yeah. and I was hearing this, and I was like, "Man, I don't want to drive back home. Like, I just want to listen." I drove around town for two fucking hours, <laughs> and then when I got home, classic. I was, uh, yeah, I walked in, and I was like, to my girlfriend, I was just like, "Hey, uh, we're watching the Defiant ones yeah. now, so stop <laughs> what you're doing." We're and then we we'll watch the whole thing, but uh, that story especially 
I thought was so Dude, it's awesome crazy and it's so relevant it, now because now even like you have to play those same politics. You can't tell a band that you're working on another band. Like at I've the seen same that time. Shit. Yeah, I've seen that shit go real bad for people um working with like you know, small death metal bands and stuff like, but, and it was just cool to hear that it goes all the way up yeah. to Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Tom Petty's like actually uh, bummed out by that thing. It's kind of like, whoa, that's kind of crazy, but it's a, it's definitely like uh, something that you can, you can learn from and take a fact that you never really know what people, how people feel about stuff and that you should always, yeah, take take those things into consideration. But I, I thought that was awesome. I thought it was like this guy's like the fucking man. He's done so much. He's done so much crazy shit. People people who produced in the seventies and uh, like the eighties are 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 among my heroes of producers because I I feel like those are the the best recordings that were ever made, especially like uh, Fleetwood Mac and. Um, I was like one of the bands that completely inspired me to be a, a producer because I would, I would be when I when I finally started to notice production in music wasn't until I was in college, maybe or or not in that college, probably like I was like nineteen years old, and and I know that record Rumors was one of the records that kind of made me realize that there's there's so much thought that goes into making records move in a mix. It's not just like that. And like Queen too, obviously with the, the panning and 28 million layers of vocals and all that stuff. So I think the guys in the semi said that Reinhold Mack produced some of the Queen stuff that I really like. And those recordings uh, are mind blowing. Yeah. And I, I view those people as the true pioneers. And I, I definitely do feel like people are pushing the art of recording forward now, oh, yeah. still to this day. Of course, of course, recordings sound amazing now, and there's geniuses working on yeah. it. But like, if we're talking about like exploring the Wild West yeah. or something, like those people in the 60s and 70s were the pioneers. Yeah this stuff and i mean to hear about jimmy Iovine uh working with john lennon yeah or something like a dude who now in our day and age um is selling headphones to apple and like, <laughs> affecting our popular culture yeah. hearing him talk about being a kid and working with john lennon and then his biggest advice was be of service, which is the same thing that we tell everybody who's trying to get an internship exactly. or a job in recording. Exactly. It's like, wow, this stuff doesn't change. It's the same no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Well, I, I, I believe that completely. Be of service actually would, would probably be what, what I would, that, that's what I would say too. I mean, it's just do something fucking worthwhile. So, so like, that's that's something that I do to decompress. Is also I'll, I'll jam uh, Howard Stern a lot. I'll, I'll listen to like four hours a day, or collectively twelve hours a week up across the week, or whatever. But um, but yeah, that's a lot of Howard Stern. Yeah, well, it's just it's my way of keeping up with what's going on with the outside too. <laughs> you got to have some kind of uh, popular culture input, you know. Uh, do you do anything while you're listening, like run, or is it just like mostly dri in a dark either driving room? or 
or doing some like uh I mean I, I do all kinds of, I sometimes if I'm editing something and I don't need to listen all the time, I'll have it on in the the background, then I'll stop what I'm doing. If I take a break, if I'm listening to a segment that I uh want to pay attention to or whatever. So I do a lot of um, multitasking or whatever. So, so I think it's fascinating that this whole episode you've been talking about basically doing things you love, going for bands you love, sticking to your passions, like following through on your ideas. And I think there's a myth out there that like when you do those things, you don't need to take breaks or like, you won't feel run down or run out of creativity, but that's, but you're, but even so, I think it's important for people to realize that no matter what you're doing, uh, creativity and motivation are a finite resource and you need to regenerate yeah. them. A decom- like decompressing is, is key. Even if it's not for a long time, you should definitely always find something, some way to decompress. I mean, I have, I have, um, friends that ask me like dude like what do you do when you're not when you're out working like do you do anything and I have no I don't really have an answer for them like Howard Howard Stern is usually my answer but then it's like uh I don't know like stare at the wall or (laughs) it's just like I don't I I can't remember the last time that I've had a, a true day off I think it was when I was went went to California like a couple of weeks ago for the Loudwire Awards with Power Trip. They, f- they flew me out to um, accept an award with them. And I still ended up working because I was still like doing sound for them at the awards <laughs> or like, so, but it's just like, be of service. Like, like Jimmy says, you know, why not? You know, if you're having fun, it doesn't really, you don't really need to, have uh, hobbies. If you're not having fun, then just need to find a new line of, of work probably, I guess. Well, I think, and also it's, a, it's, I think with taking breaks, it's not that you have to take like a break from being active yeah. or a break from working or anything like that. It's more that like no one can be creative at all times. You know, that's the thing that people need to take breaks from. Yeah. You could, I think drink, you could uh, fall into uh, psychological traps or whatever, you know, black holes by trying to do that shit all the fucking time. But I would say the the other thing, because you were, you were talking about advice, I don't know if if people haven't fallen asleep listening to me yet. I would say that the <laughs> other the other big piece of advice that I could have is that um, it sounds stupid, but just work hard because. Um, you can you can attain all these things that you want to do by working hard uh when i when i was starting to do recording i also had to do uh a job doing front of house at a venue to make enough money to live and be able to do the recording stuff and pay bills and i was doing it while i was going to college and i was doing um, touring and, and just like working at a record store part time and just doing all kinds of bullshit that, that kept me in music, but not, you know, 
enough money to keep doing music stuff and it kind of all feeds itself like surround yourself with musical work i mean people do that in hollywood all the time they like uh get jobs in in on like movie lots or something like that and then you just work your way into something i don't know um i mean i agree when uh when uh, my career was first starting my goal was to get my band signed to roadrunner hell yeah and I started a. It worked, and I uh, I wanted. What up, Dave Rath? Also, yeah, it, Dave Rath, and back then, Monty Connor. Um, when I was starting out the career, I wanted to get the band signed, but obviously, you know, that's not a job, and I had to find a way to make money. So I started doing the studio thing, and the studio thing fed the band, and the band fed the studio. You know, exactly. bands that I would record in the studio would then let my band go on weekend tours with That's them. That's the way and to like do By it. doing that, yeah, by we would meet bands that would then convince them to come to the studio. And one thing led to another, and eventually, through all that for a few years, I got to Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had taken a job in another field who you know to support my band who the hell knows what would have happened yeah, I mean, it was symbiotic if you work at if you work at fucking Jimmy John's you might you know, you're not going to run into a, like you know potential clients every day you know you might run into one potential client in 6 years you know what i mean so uh, that's definitely it and then also just to revert back to what we were talking to bef- talking about before while you're doing this and the whole the whole cycle is feeding each other it's important important to be cool at all times like we were talking about before because if you're cool in the studio and you go on tour with a band that you're recording and they know you're cool they will they will tell every other band yo arthur's cool or you know el's cool like it's 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 all about just getting getting an endorsement from somebody else because people tend to just listen to other people. Um, for Riley, this the the singer of Power Trip is is one of my best friends, and he tells pretty much any band that they tour with or any band that he sees that's up and coming. He's just like, you should hit up Arthur; he'll know what to do with you guys. And whether I do or don't, it's like an endorsement that's pretty much you know, priceless because, um, that's just, you know, that's just how it is. Like they're, they're popular bands. It's they're basically pre-qualifying you. Yep. Um, people don't need to do the research. It's like if, if someone that they trust says the, this dude's cool, he knows what he's doing that right there. Like they don't need to do research on whether or not you're full of shit or anything like that. Maybe they want to hear your work and see if they agree that they like it. But a lot of the, is this guy for real? Is he full of shit? Will he run off with our money? Like all those kinds of things that those suspicions are put to bed. You're basically being vouched for. So exactly back to advice for people back to being cool. Just, you know, be cool in the studio. Don't, don't, don't overinsert yourself into things and just work hard and people will you know people will respect you for that and they will they will pass your name around people want to have a good experience in the studio because oftentimes they just they they don't and it's because they're you know for whatever reason they're working with somebody they don't like maybe they're not performing to their maximum capability to begin with but um 
they do, people want to have a good time. So just, you know, let them have a good time. Bring them donuts, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Whatever. I've done that before. Yeah. It works. Well, Arthur, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an awesome conversation. Oh, thank you for having me, dude. Yeah, I'd love to have you come back on in a few months and continue the conversation. Sure thing, man. I'll, I'll put in a, a word for you to Will Yip, too, and see what he says. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, tell him to text me back about it. Yeah. Like, We'd love to have him on, and he's been requested a lot. He's a busy motherfucker. Of course, that's, I know. That's a true man who... who works a lot lives like lives like two blocks from his studio too so he's not he's so basically he, he lives, lives at in his studio. studio more or less so but that like like him and like me like just we both bust our asses that's that's the reason why uh both of us have been able to be successful too so do you know a single successful person who hasn't busted their ass <sighs> No, I know people who are rich that haven't busted their ass, but I know I don't know anybody who's made personal success without busting their ass. Like I have I have I have also have friends who are who are born into money and had the opportunity to take that money and be, you know, and just or maybe they didn't, but they they could have, you know, they were they're born into money and then they just bust their ass anyway and just fucking like work grind in in you know f front house gigs and s stuff like that so you know i well you know being born into money is not going to give you talent no or, or work ethic mm -mm. um so i mean i've known a lot of people who were born into it who just are the biggest losers i've yeah. ever met so i don't think being rich and being successful are the same thing no. like if you're given all your money that might actually ruin your drive it might to I, and I've, yeah like if, not always no no, though, I did, no like always. i said I, I know people who have who were born into money and and didn't let them uh affect their drive at all so yeah but you can't be you really can't be successful without putting in the time in this in this industry at all at least you need that that you know that block of time um absolutely of just years non-stop fucking misery so <laughs> well with that thank you yep thank you take it easy brother the unstoppable recording machine podcast is brought to you by the 2017 urm summit a once in a lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests including andrew wade kane churko billy decker fluff Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.